This is In the Trenches, Broadcast 71. Welcome to In the Trenches, where entrepreneurs, artists, writers, designers, inventors, warriors, and leaders share their stories of doing the hard, creative work that impacts all of our lives. Let the journey inspire you to do something worthwhile, build something bold, and create your life's work. And now, your host, Tom Morgus. Everyone, to another broadcast of In the Trenches. I'm very excited to have on our show today, Brian Dick, who is the author of Beyond Satisfaction and a bunch of other books, and we're going to dig into that today, um, and is who, who is also a learning strategist and operations consultant. And bottom line is she helps micro-businesses and their owners make more money and have a bigger impact by applying the principles of adult learning, which is it's in itself a, a very interesting topic to me uh, as somebody who does a bunch of teaching on a, a host of subjects, specifically in book publishing and stuff like that. Um, and so I find it very fascinating, like this concept of adult learning and kind of the evolution of education. And we might tap into that a little bit, but primarily I'm here interested to talk to Brienne about her book, Beyond Satisfaction, which was an eye-opening book for me as somebody who's a course creator and stuff like that. So Brienne, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us today. Thank you. I am really excited to be here. Awesome. So before we dig into some of the work you've done, uh, let's tell us about yourself. Like, where, like, tell, give us a little background and then how you, about yourself and how you kind of got into this space. You know, I've always find the, the story interesting um, yeah. how people kind of get into this, this online digital education space. It's the, uh, the origin story if I was a superhero, right? Yep, exactly. <laughs> give me your origin story. Well, I'm not, I don't know that I would qual- uh, uh, categorize myself as a superhero, but uh, I'll pick up the, the origin story shortly after I, I graduated from university. I actually have two degrees. The first degree was in computer science, and I figured out how computers worked and how they thought. And then I wanted to figure out how people work and how people thought. So I did a second degree in religious studies. And what do you do when you have a degree in computer science and religious studies? That doesn't exactly mm. define a career path, right? Mm. It's it kind of leads to a whole lot of, well, where do you go from here? And for me, where it went from from there was uh, I had been doing web design on the side, put myself through school, doing web design for a number of years. And I thought, well, I've got these skills. Let's see, let's see where they can take me. And I managed to get a job at one of the local post-secondary institutions, technical college. So you know, electricians and plumbers and chefs and accountants and that kind of stuff, really tactical skill building programs. And I was hired essentially to build course websites. This was, you know, about maybe eight, eight, ten years ago, somewhere in there. So, you know, bandwidth was just coming to the point where you could actually do cool stuff online. Uh, You could actually do video, you could actually do animations and simulations and all of that kind of stuff. So I was working in this post-secondary institution and, you know, just really trying to figure out how people learn and, and what is it that not just gives people facts and information, but, but how do we create something that they can actually do? How do you teach an electrician how to do electrician stuff through the internet? How do you do that in a way when you're not maybe face to face with them. And I spent about five years really tackling those kinds of questions, moved up in the organization and ended up getting, you know, promoted to a point 
where the bureaucracy just got to me, right? I am not a big organization kind of person. The bureaucracy sucked the life out of me. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. I've still been doing web design on the side. And if I actually tried, I could probably make a go of it as a freelance web designer. So I quit my job and I said, web design, here I come. And that worked out you know, not too bad. I, I made decent money doing it, but I was new to this whole business thing and what it means to run a business and what it means to be an entrepreneur. So I started doing what I think a lot of people do, which I started taking online courses. And, and some of them were you know, pretty good. Um, a lot of them weren't very good. <laughs> and, and that's being kind. Um, and I got to the point where I, I actually remember I was on vacation. I was in, in Vegas, actually, because there was a conference. And so I was in Vegas. I was sitting in the hotel room, and I'd been waiting for this one particular course to release because I knew it was, you know, it, was a, it was someone that I really respected in the industry, and I was really excited to take this course. They were doing a beta of it, and I was like, I'm going to get in on the ground floor. This is going to be awesome. So I'm on vacation. You know, I'm refreshing the page, refreshing the page. The buy button appears. I buy the course. It gets delivered to my inbox. I whip through the first module. I get to the end of it, and I say, that's it. And I was so disappointed. And in that moment, I realized I had a choice and I had a choice to do something that I had never done before. I could either email and ask for a refund or I could email and say, I know you're doing this as a beta. I'm interested in adult learning and I have a lot of experience in it. I can help you improve this course if that's the kind of feedback you're open to. I don't know what compelled this individual to take me up on that offer because that's the email I decided to send. But that started this huge pivot for me away from doing web design and toward doing curriculum design. And from there, uh, what I discovered is actually building the curriculum is only part of the puzzle because if you don't know how to sell it, if you don't know how to retain customers throughout it, if you don't know how to get referrals, if you don't know how to build a business around you know, these products that you're selling, you're not going to get very far ahead. So that's where the title of learning strategist and operations consultant comes in. Because as far as I'm concerned, everything that you do in your business is essentially an education process. Marketing is education. Getting referrals is education. Uh, onboarding new users is education. And of course, if you're an influencer or you have a book or you're a speaker or you're a coach or a consultant or any kind of idea person, you may be doing courses and that is obviously an education process. Yeah. And and so this is awesome because I think it's it's it is fascinating. I think you hit on a few points that are that are really valuable for anybody who's listening and considering going this route. And definitely for me who's somebody um I bet definitely built some courses and stuff like that in the middle of figuring out how better to um to basically market and sell them because I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure the content is good, right? Gotten a lot of good feedback from early early adopters, maybe about 50 students in them so far. And so I know the know the content is good. I've gotten that feedback. And yet I find myself or I find that I've, I've received on a number of occasions comments like, wow, this is so good. Like I've gotten way more than my money's worth or, mm -hmm. or like, wow, this is, you know, this, I didn't expect this or, um, I would have paid 10 X this or something like, like mm -hmm. all these comments and they all trace back to one thing. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? with my marketing <laughs> that these are the comments I'm getting. It's better than saying this was not worth my money or mm -hmm. I got about half my value. So I like that I'm over delivering, but then I find that then the challenge there that what that indicates to me is then the marketing's off. So tell me a little bit about before, maybe before we dig into the marketing piece, which I think is super important. Um, tell me a little bit about like structurally, like 
I guess when you approach, when you work with clients and stuff like that, and you talk about course content, like what are some basics to get right in terms of, I suppose, uh, the creation of said said courses or, or types of e-learning? Like, is there are there any fundamentals of that that are kind of important maybe before we move on to the, the actual marketing and sales of a of, of a digital course? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's it's funny actually. Your story about how you get all these responses of people saying, you know, I got 10x the value and that sort of thing, reminds me of one of the first clients that I started working with uh, when I was first making this pivot. I mean, no one at that time, no one was doing what I was doing. Um, now there's a few other people who are, you know, applying adult learning and helping people build courses. But at the time, no one was doing it. I had no idea how to price my work. I had no idea what kind of results I could promise. And uh, I realized really clearly that I was underpricing when someone made a 100 times return on investment within the first six months of working with me. And I thought, okay, I, could, I should be raising my prices. <laughs> so I completely empathize with you. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's really a question of value. Both the marketing yep. side and actually the curriculum side is a question of value. So when we talk about what is the what is that value that we want to be helping our customers achieve, uh, one of the one of the ways that I like to think about it is you have to be focused on the intersection of what your customers think they want and what you as the expert know they need, because it's in the intersection of those two things where they overlap that you find the nugget, the core promise that you can make, which drives every decision you make as it relates to your your course material, what you include, what you don't include, how you organize it, how you structure it, even how you frame and contextualize what you're presenting has to come from a place of what do your customers think they want? Because that's going to speak to their motivation. That's what's going to make it relevant. That's why they're going to pay attention and actually do the things that you're asking them to do. But if they could just do the things on their own, they wouldn't need you. And that's why the second part of the equation is what is mm-hmm. what do you as the expert know they need? It's the classic example, weight loss, right? Yep. People think they want to lose those last 10 pounds or they want to have a beach ready body or they want to get ripped or whatever the language is that you know they, they're using. And you as the expert know that, you know, they need to be exercising more or they need to be eating better. Or maybe you've figured out some particular, you know, nutrition plan that works really well. And it's figuring out no one will buy a nutrition plan just for the sake of buying a nutrition plan. The only reason they would buy into that is because they think it's going to get them what they ultimately want. So the first rule of creating remarkable courses that actually work for people is to find that intersection of what people think they want and what you know they need so that you can make decisions based on that. Once you've done that, Mm -hmm. then what the key is, is to change your perspective. You don't want to ask yourself, what do I want to teach? That's the wrong question to ask. And in fact, I have a problem with the bigger conversation that's going on online right now, which is about teach what you know. That actually really bothers me. (laughs) When you have this mental framework of teach what you know, you actually are harming your students. That mindset is actually detrimental to your students' results. There's, There's evidence, there's scientific research that's been done around this. 
Instead, what the research tells us is don't ask yourself what you want to teach. Instead, once you know that intersection of what they think they want and what you know they need, ask yourself, how can I help them do what they need to do to get those results? So the the change in mindset is away from what do I want to teach and toward what do they want to be able to do? Because that's my favorite, de- one of my favorite definitions of learning is we know learning has occurred when someone is able to take a different action than they would have otherwise been able to take. Okay, powerful stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of points here that I think are worth honing in on. I'm just trying to figure out where I should take this because it's so simple, but I think it's so profound. And- it is because so. The study, they literally had instructors prepare, like this was for a college class, and prepare mm-hmm. their, their material just, and they give them two different sets of instructions. They said, think about what you want to teach and create materials around that. And then the other ones, they said, think about what your people want to learn and figure out and then create your curriculum based on that. Just that mindset shift. They didn't change anything else. They didn't change how they prepared. They didn't change how they created their, their materials. They didn't change anything. All they did was ask a different question at the outset. And by asking that question of what do people want, it got better results for the students just by asking a different question. Yeah, and you bring this up in um, in your book, correct? Yeah. Um, yeah. So so okay. So let's let's talk. Okay. I there's so many. I think so many points to to bring up here. But I love this. So so maybe we'll roll into that book a little bit as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, and and so. So I guess, but I guess as I'm looking at this, I'm thinking to myself, so it's what people, what, what I think is interesting is the wording you use, which I think is intentional. Um, you said what your customers think they want yeah, uh, versus what your customers want. Yeah. And then what you think they, or excuse me, then what you, what you know, know they, need, they need, yeah, which I think is interesting. So why, why, why structure it that way? I think it means a particular thing that way. And I think it's really, that's what makes it so profound. But why is it what they think they want? and what you know they need uh, uh, versus what they want and what you know they need, for example. Yeah, the, the truth is that most people don't actually, they can't articulate what they want um, without giving answers that are really trivial or really reductionist. Um, I was reading a book called The Referral Engine by John Jant. Uh, he's the founder of Duct Tape Marketing. And in that, in that book, he says that there's, there's fundamentally only five reasons that people buy anything. It's either going to make them more money, it's going to save them time, it's going to save them money in the future, it's going to make them feel better about themselves, and and I can't remember what the fifth one is, but you get the idea, right? Fundamentally, if you ask people what they want, they're Mm -hmm. going to give you an answer that sounds a lot like those five things. Those five things don't give you enough, though, to really be able to speak to them in a way that makes them listen, Right. That's the key is when you are listening to what your customers think they want, they don't always know. They might be thinking three steps down the road or they might be thinking of only the next step. They might not be able to see what's five steps down the road. And so part of why what your customers think they need is important is because this speaks to that education piece. Your customers need to be educated to have an understanding uh, and an appreciation for why they're in the situation they're in. And then you, once you've done that, then you can pair it with what they think, what, what you know they need. But if they think they need one thing 
and they actually need something else, and you start talking about, I'm going to fix this other problem that you don't even know you have, they're not going to listen because they're going to say, you're talking to someone else. You're not talking to me. That's why it's so critical to listen to what your customers think they want. How do they describe their situation? What do they actually want? What are their words? Use their words. Even if you think they're focusing on the wrong problem, you have to use their language to figure out what they think they need or else they're going to ignore you as being irrelevant to their interests. That's awesome. Very cool. Okay. So now I'm digging into, or I'm looking at some of the other stuff that you've done in terms of like client work. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and this is, so what have you seen, like, I guess in the context of this, like getting the market. So now let's, let's segue. I mean, we basically touched on that marketing piece anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, let's dig into that a little bit. Like what have you found, I guess that is like hold most content creators back uh, or, or educators back. And is it, I guess, you know, I, I asked this, maybe it's, we've already answered it, which is that people are teaching what they, they want to teach versus, um, you know, what the student wants and, and needs. Um, but tell me a little bit, do you see any common, I guess, common difficulties, common challenges that people have when it comes to creating digital courses and selling them online? Like things that like almost across the board, everybody you've worked with or people you've seen that you haven't worked with make these common mistakes? There's a few different ways to approach that question. So yeah. it really depends on where someone is coming from. Mm -hmm. One of, you know, in my work, I, I divide the people that I work with into various buckets because I find that there's patterns in terms yeah. of those buckets and, and the challenges that people face. Um, and one bucket that I've identified that I don't do a lot of work with is people who are just getting started. They're just, you know, transitioning into entrepreneurship. And the reason that I don't work with those people is because of one critical mistake that I see them making, which is they try to create courses or workshops or uh, programs, group co programs, whatever that educational experience is too early and too soon in their mm. business. It's very, very difficult. I won't say impossible, but very, very difficult to go from zero to thriving business with hundreds of clients taking your course in one step. Mm -hmm. Instead, what most, most successful online course creators or offline course creators, uh, what, what they do that works is they first test and experiment their ideas and their knowledge and their system and their framework in one-on-one -on -one settings, whether that's one-on-one -on -one coaching or one-on-one -on -one consulting or freelance work, whatever that is, I find that people who skip that step and aren't, who aren't willing to spend the time doing one-on-one -on -one work actually rob themselves of a lot of, a lot of money, mm -hmm. um, a lot of valuable expertise, and they actually get in their own way because then you end up with people who are trying to solve too many problems at once. You're trying to solve a list building problem. You're trying to solve, uh, what am I actually, you know, what, what's my system? What's my magic sauce? Um, they're mm -hmm. trying to solve that problem. They're trying to solve the, how do I actually build a course? How do I master the technology? How do I, how do I, how do I, how do I, how do I? And a lot of those problems can be eliminated when you work with people one-on-one. -on -one. So for the first bucket, that's the big mistake that I see. Is moving too quick from... Is, ign is ignoring the the stage of working with people one-on-one -on -one before trying to move into a group format. Ah, that's a good, I that's an interesting, love, yeah, a dichotomy there. I think that's that's so powerful and so true though, but I've never would, really heard somebody 
put it that way. I would love to see people only, and again, I'm going to say this in absolute terms. It's not absolute, Mm -hmm. but I would love for people to only really start considering building a leveraged product, whether that's a course or um, membership community or whatever you, whatever that frame takes only when they are too busy with one-on-one work and they now need to find a way to scale because you will learn way more from doing one-on-one work than you will by going straight into group programs. Yeah. This is, I love this. This is really fascinating. Okay. So that's cool. And I guess my question would be, um, on that, like, uh, do you find that, and this is interesting because now that I look at it, I think there is, I, I think I can see this, uh, this trend that you're describing in terms of the people who seem to be the most successful course creators, usually that's kind of their full-time gig. They mm-hmm. usually kind of give up the consulting side or the, the freelance or the one-on-one work. Um, yeah. And I've always and- wondered why that is because don't you, I, I feel like they might lose their sharpness. And I think that might be true as well. But the fact of the matter is they've, they've made this transition. It sounds like if you use this kind of structure, or use this frame to look at it, they've, they've gotten to that point where it just makes more sense to scale to larger groups. Well, and it's also a question of business model. Yeah. Um, you know, I said, you know, you should, in my opinion, you're going to be better served by being fully booked one-on-one before you start doing group programs. And that's not to say that if you're fully booked one-on-one, that your automatic next step should be to create a course or a group program. That's another problem that I see people make. So if they're not in that first bucket, instead they're, you know, they've been around the block, they've got a good client roster, things are humming, but maybe they're getting too busy and they need to figure out how am I going to level up in my business because they spend, my clients in particular, they spend a lot of time in this online world. They ask themselves the question, what's next? And Mm -hmm. they assume that the answer is, oh, I need to create a course. But that's not necessarily true either, because you may be the type of person that likes to work really deeply with your clients. That's how I am. I don't want to work with hundreds of people at once. I don't want to have a course that has thousands of registrants. I have no desire for that. What I do have a desire for is to work with people one-on-one or in small groups. My business has to serve me as well as my customers. So why would I create a massive passive income type thing if what I really want is to work with a small group of people that I can get really deep transformative results with? On the flip side, if you do want to be, you know, if you want to be the rock star on the stage and and you want to get hundreds or thousands of people to be your customers and and you're willing to sacrifice and you can't go as deep with a thousand people as you can with one or two or ten that's totally valid but it's a question of business model first rather than just jumping to the assumption that oh this is the logical next step of where i need to go wow this is good stuff I'm like, I, I'm really enjoying this. Okay, so I, I, I think that's so powerful. So are there any, so these are two buckets. I wish I had actually written down, I was taking notes at first, but then I just kind of got immersed with what you were saying. So I didn't take the take notes. But the first bucket was people who move, I, I essentially the way I, I understood this thing, and please ref, re, reframe it if, if I say it correctly or, or um, repeat it incorrectly, um, that are people who don't take the time uh, and or move too quickly from uh, doing one-on-one client work to trying to do group work. Then the second group, a uh, second bucket, would be people who 
um, might actually be booked out completely, but it doesn't fit their business model to actually transition into courses. Yeah. What I find actually is that those are the questions that you need to be asking yourself when you're at essentially transition points in your business or inflection points in your business. Um, you know, even just to put dollar amounts to it, uh, you start to see a transition point. There's a small one that happens. I'm going to use uh, North American dollars, American dollars in particular. It's roughly the same for Canadian dollars. I don't know enough about international currencies mm -hmm. to do the translation. But the first one, there's a, there's a bump that happens around $30,000 in annual revenue. And that's where you kind of feel like you're starting to get things figured out. The real first mile marker happens at about when you project about $75,000 in annual revenue, because that's the point at which you're starting to get to this decision point of, okay, I've got a lot of clients, I've got a lot of work, where do I go from here? That's the first real time that you start to look at, you know, what's the next step? What's the next evolution of my business? And so that's the point at which, yeah, you look at, okay, I've, I've had enough course, I've had enough clients, maybe I can start building a course. Maybe I actually should be hiring people on my team so that I can keep working one on one, and they can do the admin. Maybe I should be looking at building an agency model instead. So that's the first kind of decision point. Then the second decision yeah. point happens when you approximately double that revenue and you get to about about $150,000. A lot of people think that $100,000 is a really, you know, that's the level that everyone wants to make, right? It's a six-figure year. Mm -hmm. It's not true. Six figures is actually a really, really challenging place to be because mm -hmm. at six figures, you don't necessarily make enough to hire people. Exactly. Right? But you, exactly. you're, not, you're not making, literally, like you've got too much to do and not enough money to solve the problem, Right. So yeah, six figures is great if you're an employee, but as an entrepreneur, it's actually really, I, I, I completely agree. It's a painful yeah. spot to be at. It's a yeah. transitionary period. Exactly. So that's why I suggest people start looking for opportunities to transition your first mile marker happening at around 75,000 and the second mile marker at about 150,000 and 150,000 is where you're going to start replacing your one-on-one -on -one offers. So you might've been building leverage before that, but this is the point at which, you know, if you're going to scale and you're going to scale through courses, you're going to have to not just build courses, but scale down on your one-on-one -on -one work. Maybe not mm -hmm. eliminated entirely, but you're going to have to scale it down. And then there's another mile marker that happens when you about double again, about 300,000. And that's when, you know, this is when you start to get really booked with speaking. You start to, a lot of people, this is when they start really seriously looking at getting a traditionally published book, for example. Mm. Uh, and so when you start to hit that revenue number, then- Which one is that one again? 300,000. Okay. When you start to get to that level, then the question is, okay, I've got these leveraged offers. Now, how can I actually start building a team behind? I mean, not just contractors, not just a VA, but how can I actually start focusing only on the stuff that I'm really good at? Um, Tara Gentili calls this your quiet power. Dan Sullivan calls it your unique ability. Nilifer Merchant calls it your onlyness. The idea is the same. It's what are what is your special, unique thing that you bring to the world? And at 300,000, you're challenged to figure out how can you be spending most of your time doing that stuff and delegating everything else. So that then informs in terms of building operations in your business or even creating courses. You might be the idea person 
for these courses, but you're probably not going to be executing all of the development of them anymore. And so you start to look at different ways of building systems into your curriculum and your your business and Mm. all of that so that you can continue to scale if that's what you want. Not everyone wants to. Um, There's there's a lot of people who think they should be growing bigger. They think they should not because they want to, but because they don't know that it's okay to just say, I'm satisfied with the size of my business, where and how it is. So it comes back to that question that we talked about before, which is your business has to serve you. What relationship do you want with your business, with your clients, with your team, if you want to have a team? And what does that inform in terms of where you're going to set yourself up for the future of, of your business? Taking a lot of notes here. <laughs> so if uh, just because, you know, we, we could keep talking about this mm. at length, but, you know, if, if you want to dig into it more or if folks who are listening want to dig into it more, I've got a blog post about those transition points and it's on my website, mynamesbrianne.com slash evolution. And that's cool. Yeah. Mynamesbrianne.com slash evolution. And that's the four mile markers in the evolution of your expert business. We talked about three, but the fourth one, you can imagine where it goes, right? You double revenue again, then you have a whole new set of problems. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Who who would have thought that, you know, doubling revenue causes problems? Um, And then the other article is if you're listening to this and saying, oh, that that sounds like way too much work. I want to stay small. Then a post that I would encourage you to read is mynamesbrianne.com slash growth. And that one is about how it's your business and you need only grow it if you actually want to. I like that. I'm writing this down so it'll be make sure we have it in the uh, show notes. And yeah, I'll say for anybody listening, if you don't know Brianne's writing, uh, you need to go to her website and <laughs> subscribe. Uh, incredible way with words and and, and both uh, uh, you know spoken as well because again, this is, I feel like, some of the stuff is like seemingly very simple, but I think it's sometimes you just need the right person to frame it the right way for you. So I'm really, uh, I, I find your writing incredibly powerful um, and, and this and this this conversation just the same. So definitely check out mynameisbrianne.com and I'll make sure those are all written up in the show notes. But um, so let's talk a little bit about um, some of the stuff you're working on now. Like, yeah. okay, so you know, you've mentioned this, you mentioned these stages of business. Uh, where where are you in this? Or not, you know, and it doesn't have to be figure wise. But I'm mm-hmm. curious, like, in the context of, because you mentioned it, it, kind of more of the uh, philosophy or the the business model side of things. Do you continue to just work with you know clients and and stuff like that? Have you built out any of your own courses? I've, obviously, you've written some books. Um, so tell us a little bit about that and kind of where you're going. Yeah, absolutely. It's <laughs> it's funny because. Uh, you know, when I when I told you the backstory of how do I got to where I am, uh, it sounded really simple, right? It was, oh, and then I decided to start working with people on their courses and sunshine and roses and happy people dancing down the streets. And that, you know, that's the oversimplified version. That's never the way it really works. Um, but what what I found is that I really do get the most personal fulfillment when I'm able to work with people in a very close, whether it's one-on-one or small group format. And for a long time, that bothered me because I thought, I'm the course designer who doesn't have a course. Like, (laughs) who's going to listen to the course designer who doesn't have a course, right? Especially when you've got, I mean, there's, there's a lot of big names in the online education, online marketing 
community and, and industry who are teaching people how to create businesses with online courses. And it's like, who's going to listen to me uh, when I don't have a course of my own? But that, you know, when we talk about when we talk about designing a model, I had to really sit down and comes to terms with I don't, I'm one of those people that, that I don't have right now, I don't have a dream of having a half million dollar business or a million dollar business or employing mm. 10 people. I don't, that's not mm. where I want, mm. where I want to go. And so I've made some intentional choices mm -hmm. about how I structure my business where I work you know, fairly premium. Um, you know, it's, it's not cheap. Mm -hmm. to work with me. Um, I don't work with people who are just getting started kind of in that first, you know, they, they haven't, they haven't moved out of one-on-one -on -one work. I, I don't yep. work with them. Um, and what that's led me to is a model that is very focused on these inflection points about answering the question of what's next in your business from a strategy point. And then how, when you've decided that a course is the right strategic direction for you, then how do you make sure that you are approaching that process through, through craftsmanship, through excellence? How do you create a remarkable learning experience? How do you create a, the kind of product that customers can't stop talking about? For me, it's not just enough to put out another course or product in the world. Mm -hmm. It needs to be remarkable. It needs to get transformative results. And so, you know, I, I have, I do have a program that I run, uh, actually have partnered with Tara Gentili in offering uh, a very small mastermind 15 people program, which takes people through, you know, the, the course design process from, you know, that question that we talked about at the beginning, what do people think they want and what do you know they need all the way through to translating that into what exercises do, do I need to create? What, what resources do I need to provide? How is that going to look? How am I going to organize things? What's the structure and, and how can I set things up so that I'm setting myself and my students up for success? Um, I also do, aside from, you know, that group program, I do consulting. Mm -hmm. I do one-on-one, -on -one, I do one-off sessions. If you've got a program and you want to optimize it, or maybe you've got an outline for a workshop and you want to make it more engaging, we jam together in just a one-off session to, you know, make sure that it is engaging and you've got activities in there that are really awesome and, and that sort of thing. Uh, and then I do, I do some higher level stuff as well. Operations consulting, um, where, you know, I actually, that, that's very, that's very limited, right? That's, that's mm -hmm. one and where I'm behind the scenes basically running operations for their business, again, using what I know about how people learn to streamline the internal processes so that the customers can get the best possible customer experience. That's awesome. Very cool. And so, and you've worked with people like uh, I see on your website, Chris Gullibo, um, yeah. and a bunch of other rock stars. So tell me a little bit about, I'm curious, uh, how did you get in contact with Chris um, and people like that who obviously built up like great platforms and everything like that, or did they get in contact with you? Tell me a little bit about that from like kind of, I guess more, more so, also like a focus on your business side of things, like how you um, operate and how you become kind of this. Well, I'm surprised, surprised I've just now learned of you. I think it's because <laughs> I've come I've come to that point where I, I needed the knowledge you were dishing out. Yeah. Uh, but I'm curious about that. Like how does somebody with this like very particular skill set that most people, if they've never done anything online, might even be listening to this conversation, be like confused at what you do to a degree. But other other of us who have done this stuff are like, this is like sorely needed, like very vital, critical um, 
work that you do. Um, so how do you grow a, a business like that? How do you get in contact with these type of people? I, I once I once said to, to, I think it was probably to Tara in conversation, Tara Gentili, I said, uh, really what I'm trying to be is the best kept secret that my clients both want to tell all their friends about but yet they don't want to tell their friends about because they're afraid that they'll lose me if they do, which is a really, when you think about it, that's a really screwed up way to try and build a business. I want to be the best kept secret that no one knows about. Like who does that? How are you supposed to build a client base when you want to be this secret weapon behind the scenes? Um, it was interesting because I, I actually just did an analysis of the last about 12 to 18 months worth of clients. I did a, a business model change where I really solidified my offers about 18 months ago. I said, okay, I have 18 months worth of data here. I want to figure out how I actually got some of these clients. Um, because, mm -hmm. you know, was it referrals? Was it my website? Was it my email list? Well, rule number one is that the people that are my best clients often aren't on a lot of email lists. I've had clients, I've, I've invited them to join my list and they say, you know what? I don't actually join email lists. I, I just... I don't have time. I don't have interest. So, you know, email list I knew was out. But I thought that I was getting a lot of clients through referrals because that's what you hear is the way to get this kind of work, right? Is you want people to tell other people to tell other people and, and you get clients through referrals that way. And I did this analysis and I found that sure enough, I was getting about 25% of my clients through referrals. But then I sorted them, you know, my entire client list by fit and by revenue that they'd brought into my business. I'm not all about the money, but if someone pays me more money, it's a good thing for the business growth. Um, and I sorted them and I found that, hmm, interesting, the referrals were all at the very bottom of the list. They were you know, lowest fit, lowest revenue combination. And I thought, well, that's interesting. So referrals is good in theory, but maybe it's not actually getting me the kind of people that I want. And I had yeah. been putting a lot of energy into referrals. So this was like, oh, I need to go deeper. So I said, okay, what else is going on? What are these other sources? Sure enough, my site and my email list didn't really track. They didn't really show up. Mm -hmm. What I found was working and where I'm pouring a lot of my energy into right now as a result is getting introductions, mm. not referrals. Subtle shift in language. I'm a big word person, like precise use of language. We picked up on that with the what people think they want. Yeah, what people exactly. Think, I love it. Right? I, I, I love those kind of, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of people who use words the right way. I, I usually yeah. bum, bumble over mine, but when I see it, I'm like, that's good. That's good. <laughs> and that's what I found in this case is that when I get an introduction, that naturally leads to a lot of business down the road. When I get a referral, it might lead to an initial bit of work, but the people who come when it's being framed as a referral tend to either not be a good fit or they turn into one and dones. Whereas people who come to an understanding that they want to work with me because we've been introduced and we've just, in a lot of cases, gotten to know each other, those have turned into the long-lasting relationships. That That's how, you know, I met, it, uh, a lot of it actually goes back to to Chris. Uh, I worked with Chris on a couple of projects. Um, Pioneer Nation, being one of them, helped him develop the uh, the curriculum for the first Pioneer Nation to make sure that the workshops were actionable. 
Well, th that curriculum ended up in the hands of Tara Gentili, who was instructing one of those workshops. And she said, this is amazing. And so she contacted me and said, you know, I, we have to connect. Can you help me with this stuff? So she was introduced to my work. Uh, Natalie Sisson is another kind of big name that I've worked with another case where it was an introduction. You know, mm -hmm. I got on a call with her just because someone said, hey, you and Natalie would hit it off. You should sit and talk. And we ended up talking. And at the end, she's like, OK, how do I hire you? I didn't go into it trying to get work, but that's how it, yep. it came out at the end. Yep. And so that's where I'm now shifting my focus and my attention. It's really funny. You know, we're doing this as a, as a podcast. Mm -hmm. I've actually found that podcasts are a fantastic lead generation strategy for me. Yep. Not because people are listening to the podcast, <laughs> but because I've had so many of the podcasters hang up the call and say, that was amazing. I need to hire you. Yeah. So it's, it's this introduction thing. Yep. And you know, I'm I've only I only did that analysis about, you know, maybe 3 or 4 weeks ago. So I haven't had an opportunity to change my systems fully and yeah. and apply those lessons, but I am so curious to see what will happen over the next say 6 months as I shift what I'm asking for and I stop asking or I, I reduce the the asks for referrals and instead I pour my attention into asking for introductions. I'm really curious to see how that plays out. That's I love that. I love that you've done the hard analysis work too. Like it's it, you know arguably it's actually not that hard sometimes, but I I find it very rare for people to sit down and analyze that kind of stuff with what they're doing and I'm I'm an analytical person or I I try to be because I I appreciate insights from statistics and things like that. So I love that you were able to actually like specify this is what's coming from referrals, but here's how they're classified. Um, this is what's coming from introductions and the difference there. And then your website too. I find myself in a very similar situation with a lot of the stuff that I do. And I think that's just, uh, I love that you've done kind of the hard work to put that stuff together and kind of pull lessons from that. Because I think, again, I just don't expect, I don't see many people do that. So I think that's awesome. Always check your assumptions. Yeah. Always check your assumptions. Oh, totally. If if I had continued to assume that referrals were the way to go, I would have been pouring a lot of energy into getting a lot of clients that ultimately were not going to grow my business in the direction I wanted to grow. And that's a big big thing too, because it brings up a bigger question too. It's like why you know why do you do what you do? Um, whether it's for blogging or podcasting, and this is not like a you question, but like a mm -hmm. you know the universal you uh, for those who are listening and kind of I'm basically saying to myself too, like what you know what is the purpose behind this blog post or what is the purpose behind this podcast or what is the purpose behind this introduction of this referral or whatever and the kind of the things that you're putting out there into the world. What's interesting is I came across you because of a referral from your book um, mm -hmm. from a friend of mine when I was asking the question like I'm just I'm having some struggle I'm struggling with this uh, with with selling. I feel like I should be selling more seats because of the quality of what I'm putting out, but I'm yeah. not, I'm not. So I was like, and then he sent, he said, you have to get this book. So I was like, oh, and then I noticed it was pay what you want, I think, which I'm yep. a huge fan of. And so I was like, oh, totally contributing. I love this. And then after reading, I was like, okay, mind open. But what's cool is, um, and we'll see, you'll be able to do the statistics maybe in a year or two. But when I get to that point, I have to kind of sit and reflect on this. Who knows if I'll end up being one of your customers as well, one of your clients. But yeah. it is kind of interesting to see how the, the dots connect there. And you realize that, you know, it is kind of all-encompassing um, and that you producing that great work of your blog, you writing these books too, they do have this kind of, you know, referral effect, I think, that can be really powerful but also lead to potential introductions and things like that. So it is kind yeah. of interesting to see how these all, all these different elements kind of work together from a business standpoint. So it's, uh, yeah. it's the three R's of growing a business, right? We had three R's in school. Well, mm. there's three R's of growing a business. Um, it's referrals, 
It's retention, retaining your buyers through whatever. If it's a course, it's getting them to complete the course. Um, and it's repeat buyers. If you can master referrals, retention, and repeat buyers, your business will be an incredible, incredible position to grow. I love that. Wow. Wow. You've, you've laid some serious wisdom on me today. And I know the listeners and anybody who's interested in course creation, but way beyond that, I think from just a, a business standpoint, um, definitely something I, I really appreciate this conversation, Brianne. I know we're coming up to the, the, um, the top of the hour. So I want to, to respect your time and say thank you and uh, give the floor to you and, and, and ask a couple things. One, where people can reach out to you and then, uh, and then I'll finish off with, uh, or I guess we can leave that to the end. But I guess my, my, my one question would be, what piece of advice do you have for those people who are, um, I guess, I'm not going to say starting out because you don't really work with them, but the people mm-hmm. that are at one of these kind of uh, pivot points or, um, I'm sorry, what was the term used? Milestones? Uh, my, mile markers, thresholds. Mile markers, yep. What, I, I think yeah. I used a whole bunch of different words for sure. it. <laughs> yeah, me too. So, you know, if somebody's coming up to maybe the first or second one, so between seventy five and 150000 Yeah. Um, you know, any, any piece of advice for that person in terms of, you know, moving forward? Definitely. You know, I'm going to answer both of those questions at cool. the same time because uh, depending on what your situation is, I have one of two places that I want to send you on my website. The first one is if you are just starting out with with creating courses or group programs uh, and you're really trying to nail down the answer to that question of what do my people think they want and what do I know they need? If that's you, then I want you to go to mynameisbrianne.com slash PPG, the letter P, letters PPG. And there you'll be able to get what I call the perfect participant guide, which is It'll take you 30 minutes tops to go through and it'll get you started on answering that question of what's the intersection between what people think they want and what they know that they, what I know that they need. Mm. The second, if that's not you, maybe you've got a course already, or maybe you, you feel like you've got a really good handle on that. Then the other place that I would recommend that you go is to mynameisbrianne.com slash U-T-A-G. Again, just the letters U-T-A-G. And that is where you're going to get my understanding to action guide. So if you've ever offered a course and you get people at the end of it saying, that was so interesting. Mm. My friend Vanessa Van Edwards says that that's so interesting is the kiss of death for a course because no one really (laughs) wants interesting. They want results. So if you are tired of getting interesting and you want to get results through your courses, then you want to go to my name's Brianne dot com slash utag get the understanding to action guide and it will help you walk through that process of translating this conceptual learning content stuff into actual actionable activities that your clients can do which will get them the results they need well i just signed up for both (laughs) that's cool um it's funny because after this conversation i'm like I, i thought i was at that point where i'm like okay now i think it's time to start scaling this this course and building it out. And now I'm like, you know what, maybe I have to reevaluate this and say, what's, you know, what's the point behind this? Am I doing it because everybody else is doing it? Am I really there yet? And do I want to be? Um, and I think those are all important questions that funny how when you're just kind of in the trenches with the stuff and, and um, perhaps that's the, the point of this, uh, this <laughs> podcast that you don't really take your head up out of the, the, the weeds, so to speak, to, to look and survey the land and, and recognize where you're going and why. But I think that's super powerful. So again, I really appreciate it, Brianne. I'll definitely be uh, sharing this with my audience and, and sending them to your website. And I love these resources. I can't wait to dig into them myself. Um, and so yeah, thank you so much for being on the call with us today. Thank you. 
And that wraps up another broadcast of In the Trenches. If you'd like to check out the show notes, just head over to tommorcus.com slash podcast, where you'll find the latest broadcast. And if you enjoyed today's broadcast, please do me a favor and leave a rating and review on iTunes. That's the fastest, simplest, easiest way to support my creative work, and it would really mean a lot to me. As always, this is Tom Morcus, and if you're listening to this, you are the resistance.